0: Podcast conference in Texas in an effort to promote inclusivity demonstrates exclusivity and election misinformation. Quote, misinformation is under fire. We're going to hear what they're trying to do to stop all this election disinformation. Google, the government, everybody is after it. We're going to figure out how it affects us. You're watching the Propaganda Report podcast. I'm Brad Binkley. Joining me today is Cam Harless. Cam, good to see you today. Let's dive right in. There's a story I want to. Get out of the way to begin with, because I see it all over Twitter. It's filling up my feed, and everybody's talking about it. It is this podcasting conference that Ben Shapiro apparently made appearance at. It's a really stupid story, and I hate it, but we're going to talk about it because I do have a quick comment on it. Something called the Podcast Movement, which calls itself the world's largest community of podcasters, is hosting a conference this week in Dallas, and it found itself trending on Twitter today when it issued an apology to everybody there and everybody on Twitter, I guess. I don't know if it did a in-person apology, but definitely on Twitter. Because Ben Shapiro showed up at their conference. So they apologized because an individual human being showed up at their conference. Which he showed up because the Daily Wire, his organization, has a booth at the conference. Which they also apologized for allowing that to happen. In a following tweet, they said, we're sorry about everything we've done. We know this caused so much pain. But it was a multi-part tweet. Thread, apology, you know those ones that start, they go, one, dot, 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 and then two, so it's really annoying long threads. They were sorry about everybody who's been harmed by Ben Shapiro's presence. Now, obviously, you know what, I'll just read the actual statement that they made on, on Twitter just to make sure you have the full context, uh, and I don't misrepresent them. Here is what their statement said from the podcast movement Twitter account. The first tweet says, Hi, folks. We owe you an apology before sessions kick off for the day. Yesterday afternoon, Ben Shapiro briefly visited the PM22 Expo area near the Daily Wire booth. Though he was not registered or expected, we take full responsibility for the harm done by his presence. And then their next one said, there's no way around it. We agreed to sell the Daily Wire a first-time booth based on the company's large presence in podcasting. They're like one of the top five, at least in downloads, in the Apple listings. It says, The weight of that decision is now painfully clear. Shapiro is a co-founder. A drop-in, however unlikely, should have been considered a possibility. And then they said, Those of you who call this unacceptable are right. In nine wonderful years, growing and celebrating this medium, PN has made mistakes. The pain caused by this one will always stick with us. Always stick with us. so They will never forget. We promise that sponsors will be more carefully considered moving forward. Oh, sponsors. Well, And they say, just to clarify, the Daily Wire representatives were scheduled to appear on panels and Shapiro remained in the common space and did not have a badge. If you have questions, we are here to talk. So maybe they have like counseling rooms people can go to and just really let out uh, all of their pain about this experience they had. And they said, thank you for reading and we hope that you will continue to join us from here out. So obviously this is very stupid. I mean, really very, very stupid. And this is what I call... A, uh, mutually beneficial controversy is what it is because both sides of this are benefiting. Ben Shapiro obviously benefits every time he gets shouted down at some university or they protest him speaking at a university, just like he gets he benefits here from them. Literally, a conference priding itself and being inclusive is like, except for you, you one person, you one person, you one Jewish person aren't allowed. So that, that's kind of the irony and all of that. But He obviously benefits him because this whole cancel culture, culture war. But it benefits this organization as well because I've never heard of this group. I had no idea there was a conference going on. Probably most people had never heard of them either until they tweeted that out about Ben Shapiro. So they made a conscious decision to do that in a very just over-the-top way to make their position clear. They're saying, we're an organization. These are our ideals. We have these progressive ideals that align with this. I don't know. Whatever terms people want to use, it can get confusing. and People get mad whether you call it left or progressive. I need to come up with a better way to describe it. But absent of a better way, the progressive ideals is what they're trying to demonstrate here because they're trying to draw in those people and push away the others. We don't want people like Ben Shapiro. We only want the others. And then there was a tweet featured by somebody in the LGBTQIXR, whatever community, saying, I'm so offended and hurt. I don't feel safe with Ben Shapiro here. And that's spreading around as well. This was... They both are having a good day because of this. So there's a controversy around it. Yes, it's stupid. And yes, it highlights how... Hypocritical all of this stuff is, but make no mistake—they knew this was going to happen. This organization, Ben Shapiro, might not have known this was going to happen, but this group did, and, and maybe Ben Shapiro was in on it too. I have no idea, but they both benefit. That's all I have to say about that. Oh, don't oh you, well, and it's there. it's
1: like I, I well I didn't see it because I I try my best not to ever pay attention to Ben Shapiro, um, but it's 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 always hilarious to me when these people talk about how they feel unsafe, and it's always like the like, do you think Ben Shapiro could could uh, win a fight with Jill Biden?
0: I don't think so. No, well, that's the thing. That's why it's so stupid. That's why, to me, it's just an obvious attempt at controversy marketing. Read P- literally read P.T. Barnum's autobiography. And he wrote dozens of autobiographies because, you know why? He sold a new one every year because he's P.T. Barnum. Because he knows how to do that. He would do stuff like write articles in news, so he'd have a show planned in, a, in another town, and he would write an article under a, a pen name bashing himself, or a letter to the editor saying how horrible, how much of a fraud and a con artist P.T. Barnum was, because he knew the controversy alone would cause people to come to his show when he came into that town. And he's just got a long list of stunts like this, where he just intentionally, you know, ticks people off and causes division because he knows it's going to drive them to his shows he's got coming to town. It's Whether people do this on purpose, sometimes they don't do it on purpose, I know that, but right now everybody knows that you can get media by intentionally causing controversy, divisive political controversy. Donald Trump is an expert at this, honestly. Donald Trump writes about this in his book, too. This is a very intentional marketing tactic that sometimes happens naturally, but I always suspect marketing public relations first, especially one as blatant as this one right here, so... If they did this on purpose and touche to them, but if they didn't, then my gosh, there's no hope for them if they didn't. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I mean, we do need to find a better
1: word. I mean, because well, there is a perfect word for it, but it's not child friendly, and we're not trying to do that on the main show, right? So, right. Uh, It's 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 hard to do. But uh, one of the things I wanted to just briefly mention, we talked about Marjorie Taylor Greene being swatted yesterday. Yeah. And she was swatted again. I believe last night. It needs
0: to happen uh, a third time. It needs to gotta, be a rule of threes.
1: Gotta have a hat trick. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, so that's, that's still happening. I just wanted to make sure that people knew. Do you knew know
0: if it was character. an automation again that told the look. police while it was doing it? Or not an automation, but a computer voice. Uh, let, let me, let me look real quick. She re, uh, after receiving
1: a call at two forty fifty three 53 AM Thursday about a male possibly shooting his family members and then himself. Uh, the suspect, who called through an internet chat that appeared to be a suicide crisis line, oh, falsely told police responders that a man came out as transgender and claimed they shot the family at Green's address. If anyone tried to stop me from shooting myself, I will shoot them, said the caller, who gave uh, officers the name Wayne Green and warned that they would be waiting for us. Hmm. So It looks like it was an actual voice this time.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, that's, you know, I expect that to happen one more time. Maybe okay. to her again. I don't know. Maybe to somebody else. She lives in Rome, Georgia, by the way. There's I nothing know. in Rome, Georgia. Like absolutely right. nothing in, except a college, Berry College. Do they even have Matt. a
1: SWAT team?
0: Maybe. I'm sure they do, but they probably cover a very large area there because there's just not much. There's a lot of open fields in Rome, Georgia. All right. Hmm. Moving on to the next story. I keep hearing this new poll that was conducted by NBC that is cited – in a lot of news stories on on both sides of the aisle, and it goes like this it, it's it's that the number one concern for Americans leading up to the midterm elections are threats to democracy. In fact, here is an actual quote from one of the reports on this. It says, according to an NBC news poll, Americans now rank threats to democracy as the most important issue facing the country, higher even than the cost of living and the economy, which was just months ago top of mind. The Bull. shift Bull crap! I just, bull crap. Of course, it's bull crap. Of course, it's bull crap. I, I'm going to tell you how they did it too. They say the shift may be in part explained by a slight uh, inflationary cooldown, which has seen gas prices dip four dollars per gallon, dip below four dollars per gallon, where prices were in March. But more than that, the poll seems to speak to a growing recognition by the American public that the GOP's sweeping assault on the country's election system has put democracy itself on the ballot. So that is all. B.S. It definitely that that is the narrative they've been trying to push. So it's interesting you see the narratives they want to push, and the January sixth committee and Joe Biden's administration with that countering domestic terrorism threat strategy they put out at the uh, beginning not, of the year. This Joe has all Biden, been leading to this.
1: Not Joe Biden's administration, the Biden Harris administration. All right, the way this yes, the the Har- or the
0: Harris Biden administration, depending right. on how you yeah what or the Harris administration, what it might be in a few months. This has been a narrative that they have been pumping all along. And this has been one of the main, actually the main narrative through the January 6th hearings. It wasn't a threat. It's still a threat leading up to the 2020 or 2022 uh, midterm elections. And now they're, providing this survey here saying, ah-ha-ha, see, we told you it's manifest. It's real. They've manifested this reality backed up by this data, which what, what this can do with these surveys, if you read the origins of surveys, and Edward Bernays talks about surveys in his books too, and there's a lot of these old propagandists that talk about the power of surveys to make people think the world is one way, causing them to remain silent when they, when they disagree with what that survey leads them to believe the world is like. It's, it's that spiral of silence. So you can put that out there, and then you can cause a bandwagon effect too to try and get people to jump on to that opinion while silencing those who disagree with it. And it seems like that is what's going on here. But here's what the poll found, and I'll tell you what I thought was interesting about it. They said it found that 21% of respondents ranked threats to democracy as the most important issue, followed by 16% who ranked the cost of living as the most important issue, and 14% who said that jobs and the economy are the most important issue. And I will say this, I definitely don't think that the fact that gas prices dropped below $4 made people go, oh, I'm so relieved. Now I can focus on the threats to democracy. What a crock right there. Nobody's actually thinking about that unless the study is done in a very, very specific way. And that is what I wanted to look at. And so this study was conducted like a day or two after the FBI went into Trump's house and took those documents, meaning it was done either a day or two days after that guy who they strangely only mention in passing reference, I'm interested in the full story on that guy, which I don't have yet, went up to an FBI headquarters with a nail gun and ended up threatening them. And so they're saying there's this rising threats against the FBI. So all that stuff is top of mind when they do this. So people, the people they go at are already primed with that information there. And then when you look at the actual poll. It's a, whenever they cite these studies, it is interesting to look and see what the questions were that they asked and the arrangement of questions because there's a, a priming effect. If you answer, ask a series of questions leading up to a question, people's brains are going to be primed to be thinking about something and be concerned about something. And that is what I believe is going on in this situation, among other things. H- here's the question that they or, that they asked that gave them the results they got. It said, which one of these issues is the most important issue facing the country? And it said, what is the second most important issue facing the country? They allowed them to have two answers. Okay. So people did not specifically write in or off the top of the head say threats to democracy. They were prompted with a list, and threats to democracy was on that list. I don't know if it was at the top of the list or the bottom. I, didn't, I looked at the actual results of the study, the PDF, but I didn't see the full questions because they cite an appendix, which they don't have with the full results that I, I haven't been able to find yet. But it was prompted, and then they, the, here, here are the four questions leading up. To the question about democracy, I, I think to me this is just it's such a fraud. Should I answer them? Sure, if you'd like to. The first one is, well, I'm not going to read all the institutions off because I didn't put all this down. But it said, I, it said I'm going to read it. This is the paper, the person asking the question saying this. I'm going to read a list of institutions in American society, and I'd like you to tell me how much confidence you have in each one. A great deal? Quite a bit? Some very little or none at all. So it's a question about institutions. All of this stuff about democracy is about our crumbling institutions. We hear Davos talking about that. We hear stuff about the FBI. We see the CDC director coming out right around the time the study was done saying that they failed and they need to change things up. And we see the, the, Supre- the Supreme Court and the CDC and I think the FBI were three of the ones that showed up right away in this. So that that's already getting people in the mind frame of thinking about the, the crumbling institutions in our democracy. The next question was, Thinking about the direction of our country five years from now, do you think things in the United States will get better, get worse, or be about the same. So already putting in the in the mindset of uh, away from themselves, their own individual issues. So it wasn't like they asked a whole bunch of questions about how, 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 how much have you seen prices go up? How hard has it been for you to pay the bills month to month? It wasn't individual priming, it was broad global priming. And then the next one was, when you think about the future of America, do you feel more confident that America's best years are ahead of us? Or do you feel more worried that America's best years may already be behind us? Again, leading the witness leading the person asking the question into fears over the crumbling democracy. And then the next one is, is there something that upsets you enough that if you could, you would carry a protest sign for a day? This is an interesting question. But, uh, so those are the four questions leading up to the question about the threats, which they then prompted people to say threats to democracy, which I found interesting because you can look at what the results were from the study they did in May, which it lists what was top of mind for Americans back in May, threats to democracy is not even on the list, which makes me wonder, did they even ask about threats threats to democracy. Because uh, they don't show the previous questions. They just show the answers. I think that they didn't. I think they didn't ask about it previously. This time, they had all this priming with the questions, with the timing of it, and then they put that one on there uniquely, knowing people would check that box. It's such a con. You, you can so easily manipulate these surveys, and now every news organization is basing like a series of uh, panel discussions and and commentary about what's actually going to happen in the 2022 midterm elections. Are people going to rebuke all these election deniers? It's a bunch of BS is what it is. And also... This whole idea of democracy crumbling, well, there's a question of whether democracy has actually existed in America for a long time. But they're talking about it from very different ways. If we're talking about democracy being under threat, it's not from the people they're talking about it from. It's from those who are in partnership with Klaus Schwab, Joe, Joe Biden, and, and the Republicans and Democrats who are agreeing to go along with this Build Back Better like global fascism Corporate effort, also the business leaders that are putting in on that, that is what the real threat to democracy is, not people who are on you know, Twitter talking about how they think Joe Biden is Brandon and F Joe Biden. That, that's not the threat to democracy.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's it, like if you ask me those questions first, you didn't have to list any of them for me to go ahead and give you my answer that I don't trust any of them.
0: Right, of course, you yeah. know, I mean, but it's... Because, of course, of, like, the, how stupid you have to be to think that people like this abstract idea of a threat to democracy, they don't even, you don't even define that it's so vague to think that people care about this abstract BS more than they care about paying their own bills and putting food on the table is utterly nonsense. It's just absurd.
1: Yeah, uh, it, it,
0: just don't threaten me with
1: a good time. I mean, the the fall of democracy <laughs> just sounds so good, but really, how... How fragile is our democracy that some people with zip ties and no guns, no guns, threaten it,
0: threaten to end its 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 history? Like how? Right. Right. Well, that's not. They're going to have the other narrative of that they they put into their heads. It is interesting that their their efforts to protect and save democracy is actually the threat. To democracy because they're just operating under the guise of democracy like all tyrants have throughout history you know there's never been a somebody who's been like i'm a dictator love me i'm going to oppress you they they, they don't really communicate that straightforward it's always under the guise of something good against something evil and people think they're doing the right thing for them and themselves when in reality they're just operating under these vague terms as a shield to, uh, you know, enact their tyranny, and I, people do that on the left and right, all sides. It doesn't matter. That's what power-hungry people do. They hide behind the banner of liberty, freedom, and democracy. So it's up to us to not buy into their propaganda, selling to us, you know, the democracy is something that it isn't really. That it only includes one group of people, not everybody. It's so crazy too. We're so inclusive, except for you. It's it's such a a blatant message that we're hearing is we're so inclusive unless you are an election denier and a threat to democracy. It's not inclusive. This is a con, and the small number of people who buy into it, they need therapy, I would say, because I think that their brains have been melted personally. They need more than therapy. They need, they need, they need like that. Remember that show where they had the guy who used to be in prison? It's like a Maury Povich thing, and they would have all the kids come up who were troubled kids, and the guy who was in prison. It's called Scared Straight. He just yeah. yell at him like, "You know what prison's like? You'd be fresh meat in prison," and and the kids are just terrified. They need that going on, yeah. but in a kind way, I guess, somewhat. <laughs> somewhat. All right, no, I got you. Yeah, uh, it's, just, <laughs> it's just this uh, the the
1: stupid stuff I hear. Like, I don't know if you've perused, um, you know leftist progressive whatever word you want to use um twitter these people are saying stuff yeah, right. that doesn't make any sense whatsoever
0: right yeah and you can right. usually copy and paste it in the twitter search and see 80 other people saying the same thing how are these people adults well see, they target people who are like they have a profile that book that i've talked about a lot called uh, organizational weapon it's about bolshevik communist strategy it was written about it was written by the rand corporation back in the 50s so obviously they're going to be talking about tactics that they're going to say it's only the communists that use it if there's tactics available that work no one group is going to be the only one that uses it i think we have to every group is going to use it so acknowledging that they're talking about what they called communist tactics and that, that that idea of like uh, of getting people who have a specific profile and need something in their lives very unique like a father figure or or they they need fulfillment they need to feel a purpose and they seek out these people through their their recruitment tactics because to them they believe them to be more controllable and in that book there 's a lot of footnotes that cite Lenin and, and other other communist leaders where they talk about how they believe, and this is this is from Lenin and some of these other guys, they believe that Democrats are are very, very weak. And that they don't try and recruit people on the other side because that, that's not their concern. Their actual their their actual enemy is the 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 socialists and the democrats, the enemy of the communists, because those are the groups that are fighting for the same target audience. So they target that audience that they think is weak and they think they can co-op and control and then get to do their bidding and they can just use them as puppets. And honestly, I mean, that happens on both sides. Happens on both sides. That's not exclusive to any one side. But I think people should know that. The people that are being targeted by, whoever you are, typically, if it's a propaganda organized psyop, they think that we're weak mentally, physically probably too, and that we're easily lied to and easily manipulated. Whatever side of the aisle that you're on. Um... I don't
1: know, but you, you know when you're when you're talking about this and their tactics and democracies being threatened, uh, you know what you know what came to mind. You know who came to mind, of course, was um, Stacey Abrams, God, and it dude, it it don't, it it don't, it, don't it, even, it, re- dude. it reminded me of a story that I saw um, that was uh, it was published today. Uh, Stacey Abrams' linked group took almost five hundred. Thousand dollars from taxpayer-backed COVID fund as donations swelled by twenty million dollars. <laughs> the new Georgia Pro- uh, project posted its best financial year to date as it took in the PPP loan.
0: You know who gave the establishing money for the new Georgia project? Millions of dollars. Who? Any idea? George Soros. Uh,
1: oh wow! Surprising. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the new Georgia project, with A- which Abrams fund founded in twenty fourteen. With George Soros' help. Uh, yeah. Applied for and received a $482,000 pay- paycheck protection program loan in May 2020 as the first round of bailouts intended to help financially strapped small businesses retain employees during the pandemic. The loan says it went towards 95 jobs.
0: Um, <clears throat> excuse Stacey me. Abrams is the kingpin of Atlanta. I'm serious. She has so many front organizations, shell organizations that have been funded by globalists like George Soros. Go and look. I used to go through these back when she was running in 2018. I would go through her donation list and just read off all of these just wealthy as F people. Some of the wealthiest people in the world who all donate the maximum to her every single time. George Soros' entire family donates to her. So there was like a period. You can only donate a certain amount during each period. Every single time, everyone in George Soros' family donates the maximum along with a bunch of other very wealthy people who have similar uh, ideals as, as George Soros. Okay, um real
1: quick. Uh something just came up came uh the Borg posted this and I just wanted to verify yeah. it. Um this came out 3 hours ago. Mark Zuckerberg, apparently he was on Joe Rogan's show.
0: He was. He, I was just listening to that. I actually heard some of this.
1: Yeah, so he told told Joe Rogan that the FBI warned Facebook of Russian propaganda before the Hunter Biden laptop story
0: yes and so what i heard i didn't hear all of that I, I just heard the clip they put on youtube where they were getting into you know how do you determine what you leave on and take off and what if it ends okay. up being like the hunter biden thing and it actually ends up being true yet it was taken off so yeah I'm, I'm interested to listen to that that was a good teaser that rogan put on youtube which i'm surprised they even allowed it honestly uh you <laughs> take stuff like that off
1: well i mean this is interesting just i mean i'm glad to see this though um Okay, here, let me read this. Let me read this quote from Zuckerberg real quick, just to bring this into the conversation, because this is this is this is fascinating. Um, so appearing on Thursday's installment of the, of the Joe Ergen experience, Zuckerberg was asked about Facebook suppression of the New York Post's reporting that shed light on the shady foreign business dealings of the son of then candidate Joe Biden. Zuckerberg began by stressing how Facebook took a different path than Twitter, which completely censored the post reporting while Facebook limited its reach on the platform. Basically, the background here is the FBI, I think, basically came to us, some folks on our team and was like, hey, just so you know, like you should be on high alert. We thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump that's similar to that. So just be vigilant.
0: Yeah. Right. No, <sighs> uh, it, it's, it's like, we hear that we knew that we, we did not know that. And I heard that story last night about how the FBI did tip people off that they knew beforehand. And they did, they told some people, and I'm listening to people talk about that story. I'm like, yeah, we, we all knew that everybody already right. knew that, but it's just like, it's official now. Right. And, it gets a little bit of distance so they can let that information out. No, but does anybody care on the left? Or I I want to say left because people get mad when I want to say those terms. I'm just trying to describe it to help people understand which groups I'm talking about. So, progressives, whatever, however you want to characterize it. Does anybody care? No. No. I mean, they don't care about Hunter Biden. They're not going to do anything about Hunter Biden. I don't know what's going on with the project veritas story i haven't dug into that and i want to dig further into it because i i saw that two guys were convicted or something about yeah. getting uh joe biden's daughter's diary or something like that and it was never actually published and they, they gave it to veritas it was never actually published because veritas was still trying to to verify it so that that's my concern about talking about that story is i haven't seen anything where uh Veritas actually published anything because of whatever reason. Now, maybe it is definitely her right. journal or diary or whatever. I, I don't know,
1: but yeah, I do well, i did I did read something on that just a few minutes ago, which all I'll say is what was said was, uh, I think her name is Ashley Biden, had yeah then living in a house that one of the two people lived in. and so they took
0: one of uh, what two people
1: uh, the two people that tried to that sold the information to Project Veritas um and so. They took this stuff, which was like a, like a
0: roommate or a landlord. Or I what? don't, I don't know. It's that's weird. all
1: it said when, with yeah, what yeah. I read, but he, they took, um, a diary, they took tax records and like some kind of device that, uh, I don't, they, didn't, they weren't specific. Maybe it was a freaking um, thumb drive with family pictures on it. And they, they went up to, I guess, New York because that's where they were charged and tried to sell it to project Veritas. Uh, project Veritas gave them $20,000 each, so forty thousand dollars, and uh, they claimed that they believed that it was an abandoned property that these people had taken to them. and uh after that happened, they did give uh, Project Veritas gave all of that to the police. So they didn't hold on to it. And from what I can tell, they're not liable
0: right. yeah, I don't I don't think they're gonna be liable for anything. I just the thing that struck me is that the story is that, these two guys have been convicted and potentially Veritas could be in trouble too, and not, hey, what's in the diary? Right. Like Absolutely. because they're never they don't, they're not gonna they're gonna bring out the Hunter Biden stuff if they want to use it to get Joe out. I think that's the only way they would do that. And even then, they would do it in a in a nice way so that he could still continue to live outside of prison, yeah, in, okay. in my opinion. Uh you know, founder yeah, James so
1: O'Keefe that, has said that Project Veritas ultimately did not publish information from the diary because it could not confirm that it belonged to ashley biden
0: so right so that, that's yeah it. so may, i guess so i guess it is hers i don't know i i'm still i'm i feel like that story's bait so that's why i didn't dive too deep on it yet well i mean
1: it's just but that's the thing the zuckerberg story though it may it may as well be bait as well but i also just think that mark zuckerberg is not uh socially adept you so i think, think so? when he's no i don't i think he's uh, I mean, have you seen his "Sweet Baby Ray's" videos I and mean, his "Smoking Meats" videos? Have you seen those?
0: I think I've seen a few of them. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god!
1: Uh, but no, I think I, I think that what's what's wild about this is I don't think it'll change anything. I don't think it's going to rile people enough up enough to call the FBI into question that much more. But what I do know is that they actually put it in stone that the FBI knew about the Hunter Biden laptop story before it was let out and yeah, they gave right. a general warning to all. of I mean, we knew this, but now we know for sure that it was the FBI that did it right. yeah, and tipped right. them off. Of
0: That's nice to yeah, know. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is nice to know. It's it's, it's What would be nice if, if people cared about it is what it would right. be nice about if they actually lent right. uh, some weight to it. Now, this is frustrating to me. Unfortunately, I know that I took screenshots, but it's on my other laptop. I just did a search of Stacey Abrams on the Georgia Secretary of State, the Georgia Corporations Division, because I was going to show you a list of all of her her corporations, her front corporations. This, what she does, she starts an organization and she uses it as a front. It gets investigated. I, I mean, like all of her corporations have been investigated for being too vague about how they use the money that they collect. They, they bring in millions of dollars. They never say how they're using it. And then Stacey Abrams distances herself from that organization. And then when that organization is being investigated, she says, I, I'm not associated with it anymore. Yet she started it. Just like that, that group she started in her at college at Spelman that ransacked the entire community and destroyed it violently during the Rodney King riots. She distances herself from it. It used to be a long list, like two or three pages on this page. And I have done every search I can think of right now. They have removed like 90% of the organizations from here. I have screenshots. I'm going to find them on my other computer because this ticks me off. This is literally, they're, they're, they're fabricating the official Georgia website, and no doubt Brad Raffensperger, Georgia Secretary of State, uh, is on that site because he is the Secretary of State, so he is the head of that. Unbelievable that they would do that for her. Okay, so I've got to do one more story, and we're going to go into some clips, but I just don't know if we're going to get to them today, at least in the—we uh, might, we might save them for next week because there's a lot of them, and I want to make sure everybody hears them, but I do want to go through this story real quick about a Google— experiments going on going on right now and it, it is uh, called a the story headlines from the ap it says pre-bunking shows promise in fight against misinformation and the story goes like this in a paper published wednesday in the journal science advances that's the name of the publication the researchers detail how prebunking, using short online videos helps people better resist misinformation they say this bu- builds on years of research into an idea known as inoculation theory Now, inoculation theory, and this is from Wikipedia, I'm going to do some more investigation into this, but from Wikipedia, it says, inoculation theory is a social psychological communication theory that explains how an attitude or belief can be protected against persuasion or influence in much the same way a body can be protected against disease. For example, pre-exposure to weakened versions of a stronger future threat then it says, the theory uses medical inoculation as explanatory analogy applied to attitudes rather than to a disease. It has a great potential for building public resilience against misinformation and fake news. For example, in tackling the science denialism, risky health behaviors, and emotional, emotionally manipulative marketing and political messaging. So that, that's a summary on Wikipedia. And then the article goes on to say that with these findings in hand, Google plans to roll out, roll out a series of pre-bunking videos in Eastern Europe focused on scapegoating, which can be seen in much of the misinformation about Ukrainian refugees. That focus was chosen by Jigsaw, a division of Google that works to find new ways to address misinformation and extremism. Now, Jigsaw is Google's it's a conversation AI uh, and what, what they do, their, their team over there, is, is uh, they develop machine learning models and tools for assisting moderators in filtering toxic comments, which part of their focus of Jigsaw is to identify sarcasm. That's one of the things that they've been going after for a while now because people realize that if you use sarcasm, you can say things that you can't just say blatantly. Right. Because they will get you kicked off. So they are trying to target sarcasm there, and the article goes on to say that the pre-bunking videos, they work like this. They say they teach the viewer how false claims work in general, in- instead of addressing a specific claim, whether it's about elections, or NASA moon landings, or the latest outbreak of the avian flu, with the effectiveness coming from the implied transferability. So, like I said, instead of targeting maybe COVID with their pre-bunking video that they want to transfer broadly, they might do a hypothetical avian flu pandemic, which is obviously intended to be transferred to COVID when it comes to the way you think about it. And and they say they don't use a specific instance because it triggers people to not read it anymore. So they want to use easily transferable instances to do that as well. And they go on to say that the videos to the article were surprisingly effective and they say the subjects who viewed the videos were found to be significantly better at distinguishing false claims from accurate information when tested by researchers, and the same positive effects occurred when the experiment was replicated on YouTube with nearly one million people viewing the videos. And they've also been doing so they're going to be showing people what disinformation process is like. With using analogous examples. They've, they've been doing this for a while, this revelation of the method uh, and how propaganda works by telling people very surface level examples of obvious propaganda. That's obviously gaslighting or whatever. And what they fail to do is they fail to actually go in deeper historically. You need historical context about propaganda, how it's been used around the world basically since the beginning of time, but specifically since our communication apparatus around the world was able to connect the globe, like or the World War One was like the best example of that. And they make people have this false confidence in their ability to recognize what propaganda is and giving them no knowledge of actual like psyops, subtle propaganda that is a lot more difficult. And that makes people actually easier to manipulate by making oh, them yeah. think they know what they're looking at. So that's actually what they do with a lot of these programs. And now get this here. This is a, it's a grand social experiment. This effort by Google will, is apparently one of the largest real world tests of pre-bunking uh, so far. The videos will be released on YouTube, Facebook, and TikTok, in Poland, the Czech Republic, and Slovakia. All three countries have accepted large numbers of Ukrainian refugees and their citizens could be vulnerable to misinformation about them. So we're seeing Google jigsaw which has AI that's attempting to decipher sarcasm so that it can ban it, doing a worldwide experiment with the help of YouTube and Google, which is one and the same, on these countries. I mean, this is a global AI experiment in inoculating people from other ideas. Right. Right. Pre-bunking well, I mean, is when they don't want you to think for your own. They, they don't want you coming to your own conclusions, so they pre-bunk it because they're afraid you might come to a different conclusion than they need you to come to to fit into the narrative. This is narrative warfare. People should be insulted by this. Yeah.
1: Uh, it's, it's, I, I, I lost my train of thought. Say what you said a second ago again, because I have a thought. What about people being what
0: insulted what by this, this worldwide experiment that Google. Oh, no, doing? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. No pre-bunking. The,
1: the fact that they're trying to have an ai which ai is is kind of cool you know machine learning is kind of a cool idea but you know have you ever seen ai try to speak like a human
0: yes i have it it's, doesn't it's, sound very it's, real it's very At least i don't think it does unless i've been talking to people that i think are human but it's really ai
1: <laughs> but i mean it's not very good yet and if you add on top of this the fact that um even boomers can't understand uh sarcasm online i think we're safe <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, I don't think they're going to be good at it because it—it's just so arbitrary. The, the only way they could really enforce something like that is to just completely, completely just ban one side. Yeah, it's all because exact same communication from one side and the other. They ban one of them. It makes me think of what Trump did during this—you uh, know—during the election cycle here, where he he like endorsed some Democrat candidates like sarcastically, at least. We're, we're assuming sarcastically and some of them won and he took credit for them winning, which it, it just gets back to this whole thing. It's like, is it sarcasm? Is it real? And that could even play into this whole thing about detecting sarcasm. One of the things that, that it talks about in this article about how they're trying to seek out toxic, like toxic humor on social media is an article about, about this Google program. And it says that sarcasm is a way that people get around the censors and it's a way they can um, spread toxic comments and, and abusive behavior by saying the opposite. I and mean, can you imagine that they're trying to literally censor like anticipate when people saying the opposite of what they mean. <laughs> it, it's just it's you can't you can't do that unless you go full authoritarian dictatorship. And maybe that's what it'll do. Maybe it will truly expose them for what they are if they do try and go a little bit further with this. Wow. All right. So uh, Here's what I want to do. I want to give you one clip before we go into the XR because I want to tease the the next uh, show when we do go into these clips because these clips that they – I played one before. I'm going to play one now are from a disinformation panel, a the House Oversight Committee, where – 2 weeks ago they had this panel discussion where they just talked about the upcoming problem of election misinformation what they're going to do about it how they're going to stop it who the problem is what it looks like and they said some pretty mind-blowing things and the clip i'm going to play you features the guy a man from Georgia congressman from Georgia Hank Johnson i believe is his name i'm going to skip to that portion we'll say di- that's the woman who just lost right there in oh, New York lost Yes, yeah, she lost to to Nadler. They so what was her name? I'm her name real quick. Barbara? Am I, I mean, she looks like a Barbara. I don't know if she's she actually, actually a Barbara. She, she, she definitely like Barbara. She definitely looks like a Barbara. She looks like she looks like in
1: in college she went by Babs and wasn't as horrifying as she looks right now.
0: Who went Wouldn't by Babs? Or Babs? Who
1: who went by Babs?
0: Oh, went by Babs. Oh, maybe, yeah. So her name is Carolyn Mal- Maloney and she was How lost is she not a Barbara? I don't know. She doesn't look like a Carolyn, that's for sure. She must have been one of the first Carolins. Probably. (laughs) She may have been the first
1: Carolyn. Possibly.
0: Her and Natalie were both in office for like 30 years, and then they redrew the lines in New York and forced them to oppose each other in the primaries. And they were like buddies for so long, and then they just started saying horrible things about each other. (laughs) And people would be like, they're not friends anymore. I'm like, yes, they are. This is WWE. They're definitely still friends. They don't hate each other. They're saying horrible things, but they don't hate each other. But I want to skip to the Hank Johnson clip here. Because Hank Johnson, he he captures in his answer here, or his question actually, he captures exactly the way that this group of people would like to characterize anybody who disagrees with the main narrative. And and this is, I mean, the fact that nobody stopped him during this question to say, come on, man. I, I really... It, it, it to me is is eye opening to how these people think.
2: Yeah, clearly we need stronger. Oh, Gotta
0: skip to that. <laughs> clearly, <laughs>
2: clearly we need clearly stronger. We need stronger.
0: Oh. Yeah. <laughs> no, I won't make that joke. All right, here we go.
2: The gentleman from Georgia, Mister Johnson, is now recognized.
3: Thank you, Madam Chair, and thank you for holding this hearing. Uh, Miss Mara, do you find that there's a difference between credible individuals and kooks?
0: What do you think? Right. Is that well, Do you think that that's... Yeah, that's a question. This is a serious hearing about what to do about misinformation. Literally, they're talking about policies they want to implement to stop people from being able to say certain things online, on social media, leading up to the election. And this is a serious question from the congressman from Georgia, who John Ossoff... Famously was an intern with and claimed he had national security clearance and, and used that to run on his like even the Washington Post gave him the whatever they gave pants on fire for that. but this is <laughs> this is John Asau's mentor. Kooks, and he he continues. Okay. why why? Um, I have a dirty
1: joke. Well, you got to hold on to that. okay. Uh, just uh, here let me screen uh, you just keep keep a screenshot because yeah,
2: Madam chair Representative, thank you for the question. He asked her that. I'm not sure that I distinguish between that. Um, You know, human nature is human nature, people are people. And so we deal with everyone of all walks. So I I can't really define what a difference would be.
3: I understand that uh, you try to treat credible individuals along with kooks with equal humanity and equal uh, compassion and equal uh, service as a public official. I understand that, but I guess my question is, you know the difference between a kook and a credible individual, and when it comes time to spending your time in a meeting, you would choose to spend it with a credible individual, truly credible than, uh, or as opposed to spending your time entertaining a kook.
0: Uh, It's quite a question coming from somebody who has often been characterized as a kook. By people what, even on was, his own side of the aisle.
1: Is he the first generation Obama? Like, was it? Was this the first iteration? Was this like the thing that was no, before? I, the, he sound, the I think he's. I think he's trying to
0: sound like Martin Luther King, or maybe he's always. No, no, I'm just like saying, Luther King. there's
1: something Obama-esque about this dude.
0: Is all I'm saying. Yeah, I see. I see more. I see more. Maybe this is just his style, but I see him more attempting to be like Martin Luther King with this speech pattern and tone.
3: Isn't that correct?
2: You are correct, Representative, that and, our time and, and is very ask, limited. And, and, In,
3: and let me ask you this. You've seen a lot of kooks God. as a result of the perpetuation of the big lie. Have you not?
2: We've seen a lot of interesting characters, Representative. That's how I would characterize them.
0: And it's made it more difficult for you to do your job. Is that true? Is he, he's, not, he's not asking ques- questions. He's delivering conclusions with a question mark and insults.
2: It is difficult to do our jobs when we have to spend so much time debunking information and answering routine questions and getting bombarded with phone calls. That is definitely a challenge for us.
0: So one of the themes throughout this thing is the problems that election officials are facing is that because they're getting hit with an onslaught of misinformation, that they're having to spend all their time debunking that misinformation instead of doing their job and focusing on the elections. And ultimately... I mean, what I draw from it is that you really shouldn't be spreading any misinformation. You shouldn't be questioning anything they do if you want them to be able to do their... Which I, I beg to differ. We should absolutely question. They should have to defend it, yet they act like defending what they're doing is... How dare I have to defend this process of conducting an election? You should trust me. How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? Wait. Here's the thing. They're
1: not sending their best because how... In, my first question... When he asked that, was how do you define a kook? What is the what is the rubric? What is the the specific things that I have to decide on in order to call someone a kook or to de- de- determine who's credible and who's not?
0: Give uh, me think, that. Yeah. If, well, give me
1: that and I'll answer your dumb question.
0: Do they think the 2020 election was not the most perfect history has ever seen? The answer is no. That's a kook, according to this man.
3: And uh then sometimes. Kookery can travel into uh, threatening behavior. Uh, Have you been subjected to threats and uh, intimidation?
0: Uh, So now it's not just conspiracy theorists. It's kooks who engage in kookery who are uh, a domestic threat uh, to our country. From kooks or
3: credible individuals, for that matter, as you uh, have tried to do your job.
2: Representative, yes. I believe that we've had um, challenges from many different people from all walks of life here, and it is very difficult to, um, c- to continue to do the jobs with the phone calls and the the, the threatening comments. Yes.
3: Yeah, Ms. Barton, uh, you've overseen elections since 2013, and you were one of those Republican election officials who was strong enough to resist pressure from ex President Trump to overturn the election results.
1: This is just campaigning in a question. Had you ever
3: experienced anything like this in any of the prior election cycles to the 2020 uh, presidential campaign?
4: I, I think we have to recognize that it's been, um, you know, building for a few years now, um, even beyond prior to 2020, where we were seeing on um, doubt being cast in our election results and people having concern over the election results. So the doubt and the concern uh, and even uh, the questioning of credibility, um, I think what had been around for a few years. I actually oh, went back to a speech that I...
0: Okay, a few years. How about since the beginning of the country?
4: I gave in right. January of 2019, and I specifically started it out as a conversation talking about how doubt had permeated our elections so while that had uh, existed prior to 2020, what I would say had changed uh, into 2020 uh, is the amount of threatening behavior that, that we experienced in that election cycle.
0: So that's the difference in 2016 and 2020 is the amount of threatening behavior we've seen. Because of course, when Democrats or the other side was calling it a stolen election, It wasn't threatening behavior. And I actually saw a CNN special. I can't remember what the subject of the special was, but there was somebody being interviewed during it, and he described what the difference was between threats that come on the left and threats that come on the right. And the threats that come, and this is the way he described it the threats on the left, he said, are. There's slow brewing. There are people online who are saying things are just slowly, slowly, slowly getting upset that uh, the idea being that maybe one day in the future, 10 to 20 years, that might be a threat, but they're not really a threat. They're just upset while those on the right are an immediate danger to like blowing up a building. It was just this, yes, of course, there's threats on both sides. But this threat, you don't have to really worry about it. But this one is going to just kill everybody you know. And that that's kind of how I felt about the response to that question. And basically this entire, entire discussion they had, they have one Republican. Or, well, they have two Republicans. One of them is like a pretend. But they have one guy who is trying to just say, hey, why don't you just look at some of this information you haven't looked at? And he is the most respectful and he's obviously trying to be respectful and talk in a a nice nice way because he knows that it's just so volatile to bring some of this stuff up and he says like the nicest things about all of them and then he just immediately is just thrown they just bash them, they disregard them the entire time i'm going to play some of that stuff for you next time we go through this stuff because i I think it's important to see this stuff especially before the election because like some of these people one of them lost she did not win her primary but these are people who are running on a platform of being a part of, of uh, of stopping election quote misinformation, and I mean I don't, I don't care who you vote for or what side of the aisle you're on, but but the, this this is this is tyranny, this is dictatorship right here. This is a problem that they're allowed to just freely try and determine uh, who who can speak and who cannot. Kookery. I mean we have a this is a congressperson talking about somebody who has a different opinion, whose evidence he admittedly hasn't looked at, and he admits he hasn't. He's calling them kooks. Who shouldn't be listened to, who shouldn't have a platform to speak. And it's people like that, like, even if you hate the right or hate people who question a, a, the main narrative or whatever, like, I have friends of mine like that. This should bother you because this stuff can be turned on anybody. It can be used against any person who questions anything ever because you might have questions in the future. Cam, you dropped out for a minute there. I can't hear you. Then we just. <laughs> I've, didn't we just have the summer of love in twenty nineteen? Bio Digital Goblin says, Yeah, you know, this is not the summer of love. Parents is summer, this is summer of hate, but it's weird because the people who express the most hate um, will oftentimes talk about love the most, at least when it comes to politics anyway. And we have Bio Digital Goblin again saying that, oh, I get it. He's showing us what a kook is. Yeah, it is exactly right. That's exactly right. He's showing us what a kook is. It's people who don't agree with him. <laughs> Can you hear uh, me now? I can hear you now. Yes.
1: Fantastic. I was just going to let you know that I only hate three things. What's that? The devil. Have you met Sean Aston?
0: I know you, the devil. So, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's well, one well, thing. It What's
1: goes, it two? goes, it goes, um, Sean Aston, the devil, and the Auburn Tigers.
0: Why do you hate Auburn? Oh, because you're from Alabama.
1: Yeah. And because be.
0: I, I, I'm, I am a, Alabama fan always because I was in the Alabama Roll Tide commercial years and years ago that they aired on ESPN for a very long time. And maybe I'll show that on the next show. I'll show that commercial. It was my most prized role. It was a very brief second. (laughs) And uh, yeah, but I did get to uh, make out with a really good looking woman in that commercial. And I'll tell you, maybe one day in XR, I'll tell you all about the filming of that. Because the filming of that was very... Very, very odd, but it was fun. But I have been an Alabama fan since because George Tech sucks really, really effing bad. <laughs> okay. I was I,
1: born and raised one. I can't I can't help it.
0: Did you go, did you have a family member that goes to Alabama or anything like that? No, oh, we just have good sense. Yeah, I just have good sense. I hear you. I don't like <laughs> Alabama either. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, want, I, want, I want Georgia Tech to just lose every game, get rid of the program, give all the money to the science people so I don't have to worry about it anymore. That's that's my position on athletics. And I didn't choose to be a Georgia Tech fan. I was born into it, by the way. Yep. My family went there. My brother played baseball there. I didn't make that conscious choice. Who would consciously choose to be a Georgia Tech fan? No one would. They would choose to be an Alabama fan. And that's what I'm doing. Sam. But that's neither here nor there. And the DMB XR, I have a couple of interesting stories for you. We're going to talk about a nightclub that has instituted a new woke policy that is sure to orchestrate its own demise, and a guy who has... Basically turned himself into a computer because he wants to impress Elon Musk and maybe a few other things, depending on, on how much time we have. If you want to get access to that DNB XR where where you will get that exclusive content as well as this show ad-free, I take out all the ads for the Patreon subscribers. You can go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and subscribe there. And we will get back to the rest of these clips next week because I think they're very important to understand how these people think and, and what they're trying to do right now. So we're gonna do that next week and In the meantime, we're going to go to the XR. Thank you, Cam. Thank you guys for joining us on this Thursday evening. I hope you're having a wonderful Thursday evening and that you have a wonderful weekend. We will talk to you next time or in the DMB XR. Have a fantastic rest of your day.